I'm sure you've heard the saying, it's pretty popular in leadership circles that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, you know, it's certainly not ruckus makers, right? Ruckus makers don't do this. You know who does do this? Play it safe principles. Play it safe principles. Just, you know, I think they click their heels together and just hope that culture works for them. Or because something worked in the past that it's always going to work forever. And that's why play it safe principles overly rely on tradition. It worked in the past. It's going to work in the future. Not necessarily true. John Amici, who wrote an awesome book called The Promises of Giants, said that people make choices and choices make culture. The Promises of Giants was a great book, by the way, that we read in the mastermind, but I digress. Now, if people make choices and choices make culture, what are the choices that we are making on a consistent, everyday, bit by bit, not big grand? Of course, you make big grand choices, right? But it's like these like little micro moments where culture or resilience and leadership is developed, actually. And my friend Jeff Zoll is here today to talk all things culture. He has a new book out that uh, discusses this topic and definitely recommend you pick it up. Uh, But it's super practical and super helpful. And it shows you some choices that you can make as a ruckus maker to build a better culture. Hey, it's Danny and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast ranked in the top 0.5% of all shows worldwide. That's nearly out of 3 million podcasts and built for you a ruckus maker, which means you invest in your continuous growth. You challenge the status quo. You design the future of school now and you are awesome. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. We'll be right back after a few messages from our show sponsors. Establish your legacy with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty as you develop the frameworks, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community. Programs run from February 15th to March 15th, 2023. Apply by Friday, February 3rd. Enroll by Thursday, February 9th for our upcoming cohort, at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Teachers use TeachFX to record a lesson and automatically get personalized insights into their classroom conversation patterns and teaching practices. See TeachFX for yourself and learn about special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, Ruckus Makers, here we are with uh, my friend Jeff Soule. He's been on the show, I want to say, have you been on two times already? At least once, but maybe twice. Oh my gosh, so yes. I don't know that um, you, you might be up there. You might have the most returned guests appearances, believe it or not. Uh, and so that's pretty sweet. But I'll introduce you. I know you well, but maybe some of the ruckus makers who are listening and watching don't. So Jeff Zoll is a lifelong teacher, learner, and leader. During Jeff's distinguished career in education, he has served in a variety of roles, including assistant superintendent for teaching and learning in Illinois. Jeff also served as a teacher and coach in the state of Georgia for many years before moving into school administration. Jeff has been recognized as a local teacher of the year 
and is an outstanding principal in the state of Georgia. He is the author, co-author of more than a dozen books. His latest book, too, by the way, you could pick up. It's called Crafting the Culture. And he has earned several degrees, including an undergrad from the University of Massachusetts and his doctoral degree from the University of Alabama. In his spare time, Jeff enjoys running and has completed over a dozen marathons. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Danny, thank you, sir. I'm honored that uh, I might be your uh, most uh, repeated guest. So thank you very much. It's an honor and always a pleasure hanging with you, my friend. Yes, absolutely. All right. So we're going to talk crafting the culture in just a second, but I forgot uh, that you went to University of Alabama and I know you had great experience in Georgia and you, you reside there now too. Um, so, you know, Bulldogs or Roll Tide, like that's a big deal down there in the South. And like, what do you do? Because you've got ties to both. <laughs> it is a huge deal, believe it or not. Uh, as yeah. a matter of fact, Danny, I'm on St. Simons Island, Georgia. And last weekend is pro- probably the biggest weekend of the year on this island. It's the Georgia-Florida game. And, wow. and the kids all come down and stay on St. Simons Island and then go to Jacksonville for the game, you know, about an hour north of that. But uh, whenever the dogs are playing, I, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the dogs, but I, you know, I cheer them on. I want them to win. But if they're playing Alabama, I, I, I'm rooting for the, you know, Roll Tide. And I don't, I keep it kind of quiet, though, because they're serious about it here, man. They love yeah. the dog. Yeah. The, yeah. And Vince, Vince Dooley, the, the her, you know, coach who'd been there forever, he just passed away. And, and that was big news here and sad news for everybody. But yeah. So I, I, I root for Alabama, but I, yeah, when it's not playing uh, Georgia, I always want Georgia to win. Right. Okay. So Ben Jones is a mastermind member. And Ben, you know, I know you're going to listen. So uh, go, dogs. I know you're excited about their, uh, their state championship or, excuse me, national championship last yeah. year. So, all right. Well, enough about football and the South. Let's talk about your new book, Crafting the Culture. It's a new project, you know, that you've worked and put out into the world. It's, it's available. So we highly recommend all ruckus makers check out Jeff's new book called Crafting the Culture. Uh, but yeah, tell us, tell us about that project. Like, you have a co-author, and, and why did you guys write this book? Yeah, thanks, Danny, for uh, throwing that out there. It, it was probably the most enjoyable book I've ever written, and it's not really—it's not a heavy lift for any reader, but I, I hope it's a meaningful lift. Uh, the co-author is Joe Sanfilippo, probably well known to a lot of the ruckus makers out there. Uh, Joe is a great guy; I consider him a good friend and one of the better superintendents in the country. He's. He's probably, I hope he doesn't listen to this, uh, Danny, but he's probably my favorite person to listen to speak. I, I really enjoy. How about that? He's funny and energetic, yeah, but he also has great messages. So when I decided, and honestly, I think this is the last book I'll ever write. I'm kind of out of ideas, but I wanted to write one more book about culture. And, you know, writing should get easier, but it kind of gets harder as you go, the more you do it, I think. And mm-hmm. I wanted somebody to do it with me, partner with me. And I thought of Joe, because he talks about culture all the time. One thing yeah. he said, you know, in all of his presentations is, you know, culture is made in snippets of 30 seconds at a time, right? And, yeah. and that was sort of the idea for this book. Not 30 seconds, but they're really daily reflections on culture. So I think the subtitle is 45 reflections on what matters right. most. And so it's, I kind of almost called it a devotional, but not a religious devotional. Uh, sure. Culture devotional, and 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 we kind of hope each reader just reads one day at a time, and that might take I don't know ten minutes. It starts off with a quote about culture, and then a culture word of the day. Maybe it's engagement or empowerment or equity, and then one of us has written a you know a five hundred 
1,000 word little blog post sort of on, on that word with our thoughts on it. And then we end with some reflective questions or action steps to take. And, and I don't know, the feedback's been kind of good. You know, I've got friends who've yeah, been yeah. And, and, uh, and they've been reading it one day at a time. And, and so it's been a good little buzz out there about it. And, and, and again, it was the most fun book I ever wrote. Cause we, you know, sort of day by day, I tried to write the book the way I want people to read the book. And yep. I've never written a book this way before, but I wrote one and Joe, you know, we kind of divvied up the words. We first bring sure. words, but then for the words that were mine, I did one a day, just like I kind of wanted readers to read one a day. And, and that was sort of a manageable way for me to re- re- write the book and kind of hopefully the way folks will read it. But, uh, We'd yeah. love your feedback from any of the ruckus makers out there who do take a crack at it and uh, love to hear what you think. Definitely pick up Craft of the Culture. You know, I, I endorse the the book um, formally and then, you know, now on the podcast, I could say that I've I've read it. And, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about it, too, is that it's, it's really no fluff, right? It's very practical, you know, and so uh, you can you can read through it quickly. But I agree, you know, you should think of it as a culture devotional and read read a section a day, really think about the reflection act question and activity, you know, and, and make that a part of your practice. So I think for the rest of our conversation, Jeff, I'd love to just ask you about some of the, uh, you know, some of the content in the book that you have there. And yeah, just see, you know, see what you have to riff on. And so uh, one of them, you know, the book opens on a chapter regarding expectations, right? And so I, I'm curious, you know, or excuse me, on relationships. I don't know why I said expectations. And uh, I would love to know in, in your life, you talked about Joe being a great engaging speaker, but who are some of the best in your network that you've seen building relationships and what makes them stand out in their ability to do that? Yeah, uh, Joe is one. I, you know, I, I, I've done so much work with Jimmy Costas. I hate to brag on him, too, because uh, I try to make fun of him more than brag on him. But he is certainly a good You one. can do that as well. Yeah, yeah he, he is somebody I admire in that regard. He, he's a genuine person. I, I think we all have seen, at times, the motivational speaker who, who's good, but maybe it's just come in and leave and, and that's it. Jimmy really cares, you know, about the places he's visiting and working every day and and people gravitate towards him because I think they notice he's an authentic guy. So I think when I think of relationship building, it's got to be authentic, credible, genuine. Those words kind of have similar connotations, right? But I think that's a big part of it. It's doing the little things. Um, you know, I think being a ruckus maker doesn't have to be a big thing. Sometimes we think being a ruckus maker is, you know, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to change yeah. the world. Well, I sometimes think it's doing this, you know, starting taking that small step and relationship building is like that too. It's the small things that can mean a lot. And, you know, and I, I try my very best. It's, it's hard though, you know, but I, my personal mission is to improve the life in some small way of every person with whom I have a meaningful interaction. And mm-hmm. I hope that's kind of my, my mission. And I hope that I can do that. Uh, whether it's a small way or a big way. I'm not going to make them a millionaire, but I hope that something that I've done with them over time has made a, a difference in their life for the better. And I, and I think of the people who've done that for me, right? I, mm-hmm. Michael Lubelfeld, who you know, is another one for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and these are some of my closest friends that I'm picking on here, but he's just, it's a, a good example. There is a man who builds relationships with every person with whom he comes in contact with. And, and he's, he's always... I don't know how he does it, but part of it's energy and enthusiasm and just positivity and smiling. And, you know, 
uh, in that's one. You know, this guy, Nathan Langrad, right? You know, Nathan. Yeah, yeah. And he's another one who I don't even know as well. But I, I, I always put up one of his um, tweets whenever I'm presenting. It's, it was, it's probably five years old now, the tweet, but I still use it. It's, it's his teaching manifesto. And it's five yeah. points. But the first point is be fun and funny, smile and laugh. And I think, you know, that's something we can all do, right? If we, if we were all fun and funny people when we're with our colleagues and with kids, and if we all smile and laugh a lot, that's a culture builder right there and a relationship builder right there. Yeah. And, you know, the, the way uh, I talk about that, I call it rule number six. And the punchline is don't take yourself too seriously, right? Which I think adds a, a little levity to the situation. You could have fun, right? And laugh and smile and this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I love that as a coaching question I use with people, what's the next tiny step that you could take, right? So whether it's making change in education and making a ruckus or building relationships, it's these small deposits over time that actually have exponential, you know, value. So, all right, well, let's, uh, let's move to consensus. And, you know, you have an interesting take, which is to start before you're ready, you know, and as ruckus makers, we have a bias for action, I would say, but at times our staff, they might be perfectly happy to maintain the status quo. So what have you learned about consensus and starting before you're ready? Yeah. Hey, thanks for asking that. And I like that idea. I, I say it a lot. Start before you're ready. You're never going to be, if you wait until you're ready, I'll say two things. If you wait until you're ready, or if you wait until, wait until you gain unanimity, you will be waiting the rest of your life. And I think mm-hmm. too often leaders, we're team builders, right? We want to get commitment People use the word buy-in. I use commitment, but they want they say they want to get buy-in from everyone. You're not going to get buy-in from everyone if you're making a ruckus because you're changing the status quo. And, and yeah. I've got a zillion examples in my life, so do you. But it could be something as mundane as changing grading practices. If you waited until you got 100% commitment from everybody, you're never going to change your grading practices. Never. But you do have to get consensus. Um, so I, I always start by differentiating those two terms. Some, some people, if they don't think through it, they think consensus means unanimity or unanimity means consensus. They're two very different things. Unanimity means I got 100% of the staff to agree to change their grading practices. Mm-hmm. Consensus means to me, I, I've got a, a good majority. You know, it can't mm-hmm. be 50. One percent, though, either it's probably got to be seventy percent, sixty-five percent, preferably eighty percent. But then I can start, and I'm not ready in two ways. I'm not ready because I don't have unanimity. I've got some people who push back, and I want to hear their pushback. I want to hear it respectfully, you know, the right way, right time, right place. I always say, but I need to hear that. But once we get eighty percent, for sure, we're going. We're not fully ready, but we're moving on. And, uh, and, and those 20%, I, I always use Rick DeFore's definition of consensus, Danny, which was um, everybody involved has had the opportunity for their voice to be heard. Right. And will of the majority is evident even to those in the minority. So if you were on the other side, Danny, I gave you a chance for your voice to be heard if you wanted it. You're around the table. You recognize that you were in the minority and, and you now are expected to move forward with us and be honest, and but be appropriate, respectful, and know we're moving on with this initiative, whether it's grading practices or schedule changes or whatever. 
Exactly. I'm glad you brought up the force definition too, because that one stuck with me. And I think I heard it, you know, at least a decade ago, maybe more. Right. So it's a really, really great way. I make sure you include all the voices, but it's clear, you know, the will of, of the group. All right. Well, let's talk about risk taking. Right. One of my pet peeves, Jeff, is that districts love to say, hey, we love to innovate here. We uh, we want you to learn from failure. And then you go out and experiment, try something new. And maybe even fail, right? And then you get the two by four and you're disciplined. Like people are formally disciplined for doing what the district says, you know, they they support. So that's obviously problematic. But have you seen systems that do this right? And and you know, what is it about them that makes it work? Yeah. First of all, let me say that when we wrote this book too, we were kind of hoping that the reader, because really, I mean. I read Joe's, he read mine, we gave each other feedback, but for the most part, my passage was my passage, his passage was his passage, and we, in our introduction, we explained that we use we, our, interchangeably, but we didn't want the reader to know who wrote which one, and I kind of hope that's still the case, but I do remember now that that, that the first two you brought up were mine, and this one was Joe's, and I think he's a good example, but I'll I'll use somebody else who's influenced me in this area, and that would be George Koros, and and he wrote Mm -hmm. the book, Innovator's Mindset. Right. And this is a little bit of a repeat of something we've said, but I I liked when I read that book way back when he he said, we shouldn't be talking about outside the box thinking all the time. We should be talking about inside the box. You know, literally, we all have our own box in which we work literally Mm -hmm. and figuratively. And teacher, I taught for 19 years. I had a box. It was my classroom. Um, and, And if I waited to innovate outside the box, like outside my four walls, I once again may be waiting a long time. But I could innovate inside my four walls, Tanny, honestly, every single day. You know, it was my room. You know, it's both a blessing and a curse of being a classroom teacher in some schools. You're left alone to do it on your own. And that's got all the negative things that go with it. But the positive aspect of it, you know, I did have the power to to innovate and take risks whenever I wanted to. So I, I think uh, a key, though, is to for the leaders of the school, you know, yeah, I could do it on my own, but that only goes so far because maybe I'm a risk taker and you're not or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So the real key is for the leaders to create a culture of yes, right? It, w- when we ask if we can do this, the leaders say yes. And then we watch the results, right? There's only two outcomes. It can be a good result or a bad result. And if it's a bad result, no, no one got killed probably. You know, this isn't yeah, right. like an, where people are at harm. We're not endangering people. So the outcome of that, if, it, if it's really poor results, we don't do it anymore. But the flip side of that, if the outcome of it is positive in any way, shape, or form, we tweak it, we iterate it, and we, we spread the bright spots you know, the Heath brothers always talked about bright spots, right? Locating mm. bright spots. And and I think that's where the risk risk taking takes root and spreads like, you know, wildfire, right? When I do it, you do it. And I share what worked with me and you share what worked with you. And, and now we've got a culture where everybody is not only empowered, but almost expected to take risks and share the results. And we replicate the wins and we eliminate the losses and we move on to the next one. That's right. Cool. Uh, well, since you revealed Joe wrote that chapter, he asked an interesting question at the end. And, and I want to ask it to you because I'm just personally curious. He, you know, he asked, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And I'm, I'm just, you know, prior to hitting live, right? We talked about how I did a seven day uh, mindfulness and meditation silent retreat. I've never done that before. Right. So that was something that I've tried. 
excuse me for the first time, but how about you? Oh, wow. Let's see. So I, I, ha- I have one coming up next week um, nice. for the first time. I, I just moved back here. I lived here seven, uh, 20 years ago for seven years, and I just moved back to this island, Danny. And wh- upon moving back here, I joined a, a newcomer's club. And it's okay. kind of cool. They got all kinds of things going on. Uh, mostly it's like dining out or dining in or golfing or this or that or bridge or whatever. But one that I signed up for, I've never been um, a hunter or anything like that. And so I've never mm-hmm. had a firearm of any kind. But one of the club offerings was uh, going to a shooting range and shooting clay pigeons. So this yeah. may not be the answer you're looking for, but that's what came to mind. Next week, for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm picking up a, a shotgun and yeah. shooting clay pigeons, I guess. So I've never done that. I'm looking forward to it. But I, I think you're right. Uh, it, we have to keep trying new things. I know it's a question you ask of people a lot in many different ways, but I think learning, I sometimes go to classrooms and see lessons. And I don't think anybody's learning anything because learning means I've changed, right? In some way, small or big, learning equals change. I, I couldn't do this. Now I can. I didn't know this. Now I do. And, and so I think life is all about, I think we stop living when we stop learning. You know, my mom is 90 yeah. years old. I, I know she won't listen to this, so I can say this, it's, but it's sort of sad. Uh, she's 90 and she's starting to get to that point, Danny. And I love my mom, but, but part of the reason she's getting to the point is she doesn't really have the ability to learn anymore. Hmm. And when you lose the ability to learn, you kind of lose the ability to live at least fully. And I see that sadly happening in my mom who's 90 now. But but anyway, for me, the next one is I'm shooting at a gun range next week. I've never done that. Have fun. Be safe. Uh, I've done that about three times. The only time I've ever shot a gun was uh, shooting clay pigeons. And I'm actually not too bad. I'm, I'm pretty good. So uh, that that was always a lot of fun for me. Well, uh, I, w- I have one more question regarding craft and the culture. I'm going to ask it right after we get in some uh, messages from our show sponsors. But okay. I want to ask you about what's best for kids when we return. So today's show uh, is sponsored by the um, program TeachFX, right? And did you know that school leaders uh, know that productive student talk drives student learning? And the average teacher, believe this or not, talks 75% of the class time. You can give your students more opportunities to learn in class by monitoring their talk time and check out TeachFX for yourself. Uh, there's special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. You can also learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school success, and empower your teams with Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online PD that fits your schedule, and courses include leading change, leading school strategy and innovation, leading people, and leading learning. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. And our last sponsor is Organized Binder. It's a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder uses a color-coded system, and it's implemented by the teacher through parallel process with their students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Last thing I'll say, I mean, it is my show, but I'm going to sponsor it for just a second. I have a free five-day challenge coming up 
called the Maximize Your Margin Challenge. And if you'd like to trade 60-hour work weeks, being overstressed, not connecting with your family for living and leading on your own terms, you go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash margin and join the challenge. It's totally free and encourage you to sign up. All right, we're back with Jeff Zoll, who might be the guest who's been on the show the most. I'd have to, I've stopped counting these things, right? I used to do this. Remember, Jeff, like the top 10, you get the email because you've been a part of that, right? And it's because you're always adding so much value to people's lives. So I'd have to, I'd have to check that. But anyways, I said, uh, I have a question about what's best for kids. And that comes up in Crafting the Culture. We recommend that all ruckus makers pick up Jeff's new book, Crafting the Culture. In my view, it's a loaded statement, right? If you ask 10 educators what's best for kids, you might get 10 different opinions. And I don't know if it should be like completely banned or if you use the phrase what's best for kids, you should say as a caveat, this is my take. I know we have different opinions, but here's how I define what's best for kids. Anyways, what's your take on on this phrase and what do you recommend ruckus makers do with this idea of what's best for kids? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Danny. I I think that's a really interesting phrase. It became a popular uh, thing to say uh, about 10 years ago, at least in my world. It was an assistant principal I had hired along with a team of people to be our assistant principal. I was the principal. And when she met the staff for the first time, she said, you know, something you need to know about me. I, I just, I'd like to make decisions on what's best for kids. And I don't know if that was the first time I heard it, but it seemed like I heard it all the time after that. And and so I think it's both a good measuring stick, but a dangerous measuring stick in some ways. And and I guess here's my thinking on that. Sure, absolutely. We should base our decisions on, you know, in in a strong, positive culture, all adults in the building make decisions based on what's best for kids. The thing is, it's not easy to determine. Uh, so much of what we do is gray as opposed to black and white. Mm-hmm. Our, our jobs would be much easier if things were black and white, but they'd be less rewarding. And Robert Marzano wrote that book way back when, The Art and Science of Teaching. There is some science to it, but it's so much more art. And that's, again, both a good thing and a challenging thing because uh, it's we're, we're working in the gray. We're painting in the gray, not the black and white. So I, I do think, of course, of course, we want to do what's best for kids, every teacher, every principal. But the funny thing is we have to, you'll hear me say this a lot too, assume best intentions of the person who, because let's I use my grading example, right? It's perfectly acceptable that you disagree with me on grading practices, I have to assume best intentions of you and you have to assume best intentions of me. And maybe there's a few outlier people who don't have their heart in the right place, Danny, at any given school, but 95 plus percent of us have our hearts in the right place. And we simply disagree. You know, I can go back to something like assigning zeros to kids. I would make a strong, strong argument that I think that's not a good practice there are educators who I admire, who I respect, who would argue differently. I can't tell you how much I disagree with that, but I don't disagree with the heart or where they're coming from. They have an honest-to-goodness case they want to make for why they think they should do that. So I just think it's a, it's a good measuring bar, but we have to understand there's not one right answer. You set the question up well yourself. We could have 14 different perspectives on it. But it's not, it doesn't mean we shouldn't keep that in the back of our minds as an overarching guiding principle. 
but we can't just say, I've decided what's best for kids. Here it is. No, this is our overarching thing, but we have conversations ongoing all the time. You know, what is truly best for kids? And then maybe we experiment and we see, was this best, you know, we have evidence and data and, 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 and feedback. So part of being a ruckus maker is developing your mindset and skills. So what are you doing these days to develop your mindset and skills? You know, back in the day when I was teaching and coaching, Danny, I, I had the opportunity to hear famous coaches, you know, all my life. And, and, and they were kind of fun to listen to sometimes and I had good tips for, you know, whether I was coaching basketball or football. But Lou Holtz was a guy who had good tips for, you know, life. And, and he said, the only thing that's going to change the person you are to the person you are 10 years from now is the books you read, the people you meet, and the places you go. And I always remember that, you know, I don't know, he may be wrong there again, that's his take on it. But, but it, it resonated with me. The only thing that's going to change you as a person now and 10 years from now are the books you've read in that time, the places you go and the people you meet. So I am constantly trying to read good books. I am constantly trying to travel to new places. Oftentimes I'm doing that for work with schools and I'm constantly trying to meet new people. And, and, and whenever I do those three things, I'm trying to learn. You know, I'm trying to learn from the books. I'm trying to learn from the people. I'm trying to learn from the places. So I would say that. Yeah, great quote and great uh, way to illustrate it, too. How about uh, challenging the status quo? That's something ruckus makers do. So what are you doing these days to challenge the status quo? Yeah. You know, I, I think it might go back to that. Again, it's, it's conflicting, but I think it goes back to diving really deep into the well, let's do what's best for kids mantra, right? Mm-hmm. Let's not let's have that be a phrase or a mantra. You know, it's an easy throwaway line, but it makes maybe you think, you know, I've got the answers. I, th- I think it's challenging that a little bit, going a little deeper with that. What does that really mean? And what does it mean when we find out that two really good-hearted educators have distinctly different approaches uh, to, to that? But uh, so I think that's sort of challenging the status quo. You know, you thought this was, you know, we, we have to dig deeper. We can't just use it as a throwaway line. Right. Absolutely. So this question I ask all my guests, right? What message would you put on all school marquees around the world if you could do so for just a day? You know, Danny, you probably know this about me, but uh, every single day when I wake up, I do a couple of things. And and the second thing I do every day is tweet out the words, work hard, have fun, be nice today. And I I do that so often. That was my last phrase in the announcements every day as a principal. And and somebody even stenciled my office wall in my last job. On my marquee, Danny, I know people who uh, know me well kind of make fun of me that I do that every day. But if we have a, that would be my marquee, work hard, have fun, be nice today. If we have a school in which every kid is working hard, having fun, being nice to the, each other, and every adult is working hard, having fun, and being nice to kids and each other, we got a pretty darn good school. Pretty good darn school. That's right. And actually, that's how we got connected for the first interview. I saw that you posted that on a consistent basis. And I said, hey, you want to join me on the show? And let's unpack. Like, why do you do that? And uh, the conversation and friendship, you know, went from there. Okay. Uh, I know you've answered this before, but it's been a while since you've been on the show. So uh, building your dream school, right? How would Jeff Soul build his dream school? You're not limited by any resources, your only limitations, your imagination. So in building this dream school, what would be your three guiding principles? You know, I, I knew you were going to ask that, and I decided to answer this a little differently because I was thinking of all the grandiose things. But sure, I'm going to throw out three almost operational things that frustrate me because these are status quo things that haven't changed since the day I was born and long before and yeah. today. Uh, but they're kind of 
fundamental, just kind of boring things. But I think, you know, we talk about the challenge things as when we haven't done it in these ways. Number one, public schools to me would once and for all not, not be a 180 day year proposition. Hmm. Uh, they would be a 365 day year, 24 or seven proposition. It's a structural change I would make if I could wave the magic wand. But it would be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We'd have to think differently about budgeting and staffing. But in, in the year 2022, Danny, it is just beyond time to, that we still have this 180-day, eight-to-four kind of thing. I think a second thing that has been in place forever that I want to change is the fact that pretty much every single one of us goes from the age of five to the age of 18 or 19 or four to 18 or 19. Uh, and I would change that. I, I think that there are plenty of children out there who could move through that progression of standards. I believe in standards and learning standards mm-hmm. and mastering them. But I think there's kids who can progress through them both emotionally and intellectually and be done with that process at, at 14. I think there's others who might need to be at it till 22, but it doesn't make sense to me that we we box folks in like that. Let's see a third thing. I think my third thing would be more and more and more and more. And I hate using the phrase real world, but relevant outside the school building experiences uh, where we're getting kids out into the community out, you know, earning credits and and learning standards by doing so. So they're earning and learning by by working in the community, by traveling, uh, by doing independent projects. So so those are three things I would throw out today: the schedule, the the year long thing, and maybe more relevant, authentic, hands on experiences. Cool. Well, that was fun. You know, dismantling some status quo stuff. That's a great take on the uh, question that I ask a lot of people. So thank you for the fresh perspective. Well, Jeff, it's uh, been a pleasure to have you back on the show. We covered a lot of ground today. Super excited about your book. Again, highly uh, encourage people to check it out, Crafting a Culture. And of everything we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? As you're making a ruckus, assume the best of other people. Um, and you want them to assume the best of you. When we make a ruckus, Danny, you know, we're, we're challenging the status quo and we're probably infuriated with the status quo, but we've got to assume the best. I've got to assume that your heart's in the right place. And, and But we're going to make this change because we are going to change the status quo if the status quo is not meeting the needs of the adults who serve there or the kids who learn there. Uh, but as I'm doing that, I want to assume the best of other people who are resistant to go along with me and not question their heart or their motivation. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.